This conference will now be recorded. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, I think we've covered uh, verses 1 and 2 in the last couple of weeks. We'll be able to move on to verses 3 and 4 this morning. We're talking about things seen and unseen, different ministry opportunities that we have. It really is a practical chapter following the great discourse of uh, chapters 1 through 12, the theological treatise of Hebrews. Basically, the content of 1 through 12 starts with that powerful God after he spoke through the fathers in many portions and many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son. It begins with that powerful prologue in Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 4. And then it concludes in chapter 12 with our God is a consuming fire and uh, the powerful theological treatise that is Hebrews. Hebrews is so unique among all our New Testament books because of its format, because of what it's designed to do. And uh, chapter 13 is almost, I don't want to say it's an afterthought. I believe the Holy Spirit inspired to put that in our Bible from from the very beginning. But really, chapter 13 is an attachment. It is a brief word of exhortation that uh, comprises these verses. And when it says to live in love, Let me get our Bible up and running here. Let the love of the brethren continue and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That's what the the brief word of exhortation begins with. Let agape, let Philadelphia continue and don't neglect Philizenia. The love of the brethren and the love of strangers. And they're put in a tandem there. So let uh, let Philadelphia continue and do not neglect Philizenia. That's how uh, the author of Hebrews begins this 13th chapter. goes on to say, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. And we've been looking at this the last couple of weeks. The unnoticed hospitality, not knowing that they were entertaining angels. They thought they were entertaining human beings. They thought they were entertaining strangers. Not knowing that those strangers were angels, at the very least, or the angel of the Lord at the most, that in some cases it was the angel of the Lord. It was God the Son, second member of Trinity in an angelic manifestation. And uh, I think that was the case with Samson's parents, that it was Yahweh himself as the angel of the Lord. And uh, they were horrified that they were going to be struck dead for uh, for being face-to-face with the Lord. And this is probably true more often than not than we realize that some have entertained angels without knowing it. And uh, that continues to this very day, because in the church age, we are the uh, manifold wisdom of God illustrations for the angels, that they are learning while they watch us. And how better to watch us than to pop into our lives on such occasions and test our grace and test our hospitality and test our applications in uh, in different ways. And so do I believe this is happening to this very day? Of course. And even without the angels, there are things unseen that happen that we won't know fully until the judgment seat of Christ, that at the Bema seat, 
we will see gold, silver, and precious stones in such times and on such occasions that we didn't realize were uh, were being tested. You know, when you don't realize something's on the quiz, and then you find out it's on the quiz, and then you don't even find out you're having a quiz until after the quiz is over, and uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, the uh, the evaluation is handed down. So that's uh, the final point of study that we looked at. In reality, all ministry in the dispensation of the church touches the invisible realm, and the fullness of what we do will escape our notice until the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, much of what we do, we don't even realize, uh, is going to bear fruit long after we do the things we do, we say the things we say, we we pray the things we pray, because much of what we do uh, takes effect uh, in years years to come. In, uh, in ways that even our children and grandchildren will, will bear fruit with. And so we won't even be here to see it happen until the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ. All right. Well, this moves us on then to verses three and four. And, uh, let's, uh, pick up with that. Let's start with a word of prayer though to sanctify our time. Um, let's, uh, remember God is spirit. He must be worshiped in spirit and in truth in preparation for the study of the word of God. Let's take a moment for silent prayer, quieting our hearts and humbling ourselves under the authority of our loving God and Father, shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you this day, thankful for grace and truth, thankful for the manifestation of grace and truth in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, it is in his name that we stand before you. It is in his name that we enter within the veil. It is in his name that we can receive instruction. It is in his name that we receive every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift coming down from above, from the Father of lights. And Father, we thank you that nothing given is given based on our merit, based on what we've earned or deserved, but everything is based upon the finished work of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we call upon you at this time to open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts. Teach us, feed us, bless us on this day. We thank you for the book of Hebrews and the impact it's already had, the impact it will continue to have in uh, in the years to come. Thank you for blessing our flock with this powerful book. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. And so moving on to verse three and dealing with what we're looking at here. Verses three and four. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. And those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. And then we move on to marriage in verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. The the classic Mother's Day text that gets preached in uh, in churches all over the world throughout 2,000 years of church history. We're going to learn that uh, fornicators and adulterers uh, is pretty much the go-to verse for any Mother's Day message that's out there. But first of all, we've got to start in prison. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. And the vicarious nature of this ministry, if you were here last hour, if you were with us in the Colossians uh, service in the last hour, we discussed the nature of being with somebody in spirit when you can't be with them in body. And uh, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. So your body is not in the same prison they're in, but it's as if you were. Because even though you're absent in body, you can be with somebody in spirit. 
And that's the uh, that's the verse that we were looking at last hour in Colossians chapter two. Although absent in body, we can be present in spirit. And what a joy that we have in the uh, church age whereby uh, we're still monopresent. We still have the same physical bodies that believers had in the dispensation of Israel or the dispensation of the Gentiles. We still have the same monopresent physical bodies. You're only in one place at one time. All of us are, are limited to, to where we go. Wherever you are, there you are, right? And, uh, and if you're monopresent, that means everywhere else that you're not, you're not there. But you can be there in spirit and you can be there in prayer and if you think about it how fast can you get from point a to point b in prayer well we can be spiritually everywhere uh, in, a, in a very quick period of time and so uh, we can be in prison with the prisoners we can be in pakistan with the mistreated pakistani christians and uh, in prayer we can be in pakistan like that whereas uh, a flight to pakistan would take hours and you'd have to transfer in uh, at least twice or three times just to get there. And uh, so 24 hours later, you finally make it on the ground in, in Pakistan. And uh, and then you got a, a six-hour car ride to get from the airport down to, to where you're going. So um, but think about how prayer, you can be there in a heartbeat. You can be there faster than that and uh, without the jet lag. And uh, And this is what we have, the vicarious ministry. It is vicarious or vicarious that you are experiencing it through their experience because you're experiencing it with them. This is how we rejoice with them. And this is how we weep with them. So as though in prison with them, as those and, and those who are ill treated, maybe they're not in prison yet, but it's on the way. And uh, and they're being beaten and they're being abused since you yourselves also are in the body. This is the way the body works. The uh, somatic nature of the church is unlike Israel. It's unlike the Gentiles. It's unlike the angels. It's unlike any dispensation that has ever existed prior and really any dispensation that ever follows. Because the tribulation, the millennium, and the fullness of time will not have this head-body dynamic that we have in Christ and the church. Christ is the head. The church is the body. And this is what we have in uh, in the body, the blessings to be able to worship and suffer vicariously. Now, the recipients here, the Hebrew epistle recipients, they had a track record for this principle. And we're not saying that they, they didn't. And uh, just like with let the love of the brethren continue, we, we know that they have a track record for that. And they were a good local church for applying these things. And the author of Hebrews is not saying that they're not, but he's reminding them. And so even though they had a track record for this principle, yet the reminder is necessary. And it's always good to be reminded, and it's always necessary to be reminded. As identification with the body of Christ is not a fair-weather friendship. And we don't just uh, identify with one another when it's convenient to do so, or when it's safe to do so, or when the coast is clear. And we think that uh, I'm not going to have a consequence for doing this. And... uh this is the the aspect of it there. This is when Peter would deny the Lord uh, because there's a there's a price to pay. And he said he wouldn't. He said he wouldn't deny the Lord. And yet uh, when push came to shove, that's exactly what he did, that uh, that he denied the Lord in that circumstance. And so uh, reminding ourselves of what we studied back in Hebrews chapter 10. 
um, this is a past victory. This is a past testimony. You showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. That's something they already went through in uh, remembering the former days. And and um, uh, let's see here. Yes, remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. So when they saw the light, when they came to recognize that Jesus of Nazareth is in fact their Messiah, and when they named the name of Christ and it cost them everything, and uh, some some more than others in terms of the uh, prison and, and the mistreatment. But this is what they went through. And it's, again, part of the, the understanding that we have some uh, Old Testament Levitical priests that have now named the name of Christ and, and have paid the price for that. Some of whom are even thinking about going back and returning to the temple. And uh, in and. That's the whole point to those early chapters about uh, the rest and the and the the priesthood that we have. So they don't go back to their Levitical priesthood and deny the name of Christ. So partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulation, partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. And really in that display, by becoming a sharer with those who were so treated, what a privilege and honor to suffer in such a way. And even in that suffering, they are a testimony of the body of Christ to those who need to become a part of the body of Christ. And so you can have a verbal witness when you're preaching the gospel, and you can have a nonverbal witness when you are exhibiting the body of Christ. And displaying the body in uh, in suffering is uh, itself evangelistic. What a privilege. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. You know, at what point do you draw a line in the sand? I'm going to name the name of Christ until or unless this bad thing happens. If, if, if we draw a line in the sand beyond which we start to deny our Lord, what are we really doing? And so, um, when you, if you can accept joyfully, there goes my house, there goes my car, there goes, there goes Lydia. Okay. Am I willing to say goodbye? What, what is it? Do, if I hold something so dear that I can't let it go, that's idolatry. And so uh, we have to accept joyfully what it is. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, knowing that you have a better possession and a lasting one. So therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. So even though in chapter 10, he's praising them and still admonishing them, that just because you've done well doesn't mean you're going to pass the next one. Okay, you're going to pass the next one. What happens when it gets to your issue? Maybe something you, you, you're, you're, um, the Lord asks you to sacrifice something, and now that's a bridge too far. Wait a minute, Lord. I've given up this. I've given up that. I've given up this other thing. And uh, sure, you have a past track record with a lot of victories. But what, when it, what happens if it hits this one item that you're not willing to, 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 to part with? Okay, The rich young ruler thought he'd done everything to earn his eternal life. Until Jesus said, uh, give away all your money and you'll have treasure in heaven. And Jesus hit that one item that uh, was the, the, the straw to break the camel's back was the one thing that the Richian ruler couldn't, uh, couldn't say goodbye to. And we all have that. You know, we most, most likely all of us have that. And we, uh, we need to get rid of even that too so that we have a, a total uh, identification with Christ. All right. 
And so they did have a track record, and yet the reminder is necessary. And that's why we have the reminder in uh, chapter 13 uh, to remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. And uh, remember, identification with the body of Christ is its uh, not just during the good times. It's most especially during the bad times as well. And that's uh, like, you know, uh, free speech is not just for the speech you agree with, but also for the speech you don't agree with. And, uh, you know, it's easy uh, in the fun times. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, but then in the hard times, uh, what is it going to be like in that regard? Okay. So Second Timothy chapter 1. The illustration of this in verses 16 through 18. And uh, what a hero that we have here, Onesiphorus and his whole household. Kind of becomes a family ministry at that point. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And this is, I mean, if you think about it, this is Second Timothy. This is the last will and testament of the Apostle Paul as he's willing, as he's prepared now for death. He knows that he will not have an earthly release and he is, his execution is imminent. So the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Why do they need mercy? Why, why does that household require God's mercy at this time? Because they paid a price for the ministry that they had in serving the Apostle Paul. And they did so frequently. How often? Often enough to be called often in this verse. He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. You know, how convenient would it be for him to to not do that, to, to have excuses, to say, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, uh, he traveled all the way there and he had things to do and he had to travel back. Uh, you could easily make excuses, but no, uh, his first order of business, fine. You know, whatever other reason he had for going to Rome, that all took second, second priority, uh, finding out where Paul was located and finding him and serving him was priority number one. So the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. On what day? On that day. Oftentimes that day is pointing forward to uh, the day of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. But at that point, we don't need mercy. At that point, uh, things are being portrayed for what they are and the treasures being rewarded and, and uh, so forth. I think that day is coming up a day that Onesiphorus himself has a price to pay, that he's willing to pay. Maybe he is now under arrest. So maybe it's his house that needs provision. Because he himself is about to be executed in uh, in in prison, and so uh, in any event, more uh, questions than answers at this point. But I think um, I think it's kind of self-evident that this is the illustration of what we're talking about. That uh, when it costs you something to identify with the body of Christ, then uh, as as it is in Pakistan right now, if you want the the help from the government for food provision during their lockdown that they're doing in this coronavirus thing. Well, they're not, uh, they're not distributing food to non-Muslims. And uh, if you want to convert to, to Islam, then uh, you'll be eligible to receive the, the government food assistance in, uh, in Pakistan. So uh, are you going to name the name of Christ at that point, identify with our savior or uh, deny his name and collect the food? So uh, Anissa Forrest, for him, it was a it was a no brainer. He made the choice that he made and uh, thankful for it there. And it says, you know, very well 
what services he rendered at Ephesus. What services he rendered at Ephesus. What do you mean? Paul had a hard time in Ephesus? <laughs> there was persecution in Ephesus? You know, well, yes, there were imprisonments. There were imprisonments. There were other hardships. Paul had to risk being thrown to the lions and uh, and things that happened there. So more testimony to Ephesus as the point of origin for the prison epistles uh, right there as far as it goes. Acts 24, 23. Acts 24, 23. Now, uh, Paul is under arrest and um, he's waiting to be transferred. He has to have a trial under Festus, a trial under Felix. Uh, uh, he's finally going to appeal to Caesar. He's going to have to travel to Rome. The uh, The process for Paul was long and drawn out. And so it's interesting here. He gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody and yet to have some freedom and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. And so um, if you think about it, that's a grace provision uh, on, on a part of Festus. Uh, I think it's Festus that's giving the orders here um, until Felix arrives. I'd have to back up a few verses, and I don't always see the full-page context for this that I see when I'm standing in the pulpit and have my paper Bible in front of me. All right. Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. He wants to get more testimony there from Lysias. And so he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody, yet have some freedom and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. And so while that's a grace provision, is there also some risk? Is there also risk for the friends that come? Because um, what consequences might they face if they're going to side with Paul and expose themselves to the hostility of the of the Sanhedrin, the hostility of those that are bringing charges against Paul? They might also bring additional charges against Paul's companion. And so, uh, you know, just showing up and saying, yeah, I'm with him. I want to visit with Paul would expose them to the hostility of those that are that are uh, persecuting Paul. Acts 27, 3. And so part of the travels as they are departing and on their way to Rome. And so uh, the next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. <laughs> you know, imagine that. So you have a stopover on the on the journey, and while you're in port, you know Julius. Uh, uh, think about the grace that he's showing here, uh, saying, you know, Paul, you're still under arrest, uh, but just yeah, you know, go see your friends. Just uh, make sure you're back on board before the ship sails, <laughs> and whatever the whatever the time is, maybe uh, maybe they know that they're going to put to sea, you know, on the third day or in a week or what have you. Uh, we don't know how long the the port call is. Uh, at Sidon, but whatever the length of time is, Julius has complete faith that Paul is uh, not going to, you know, not going to take off and run, that uh, he can go ashore and visit his friends, see whoever he wants to see, do whatever he wants to do. You know, he's given a shore pass and uh, just come back before we sail because you're still under arrest and you're going to go to Caesar and uh, and so forth. So allowed him to go to his friends to receive care. And then we don't know the length of time between verse 3 and verse 4, where they put out to sea and sailed uh, 
under the shelter of Cyprus and all the difficulties that they had just getting to Rome. Paul, I think, was uh, was not a, a good luck charm on any ship that he ever sailed on. He'd been shipwrecked three times uh, before the current shipwreck you're about to read about here in uh, in Acts 27. So that's at least his fourth shipwreck uh, in uh, in his ministry career. Matthew chapter 10. And a principle, as Jesus communicates it here, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before man, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. And so we have a contrast between confessing and denying. And we have a consequence with respect to rewards that can either be assigned or can be withheld uh, as we stand before the Father in heaven. Now, don't get scared and don't take it the way some people take it, whereby this is not a threat of losing your eternal life. Because you'll notice even those who are denied are still standing before the Father who is in heaven. Okay? And so uh, even uh, even the biggest Christ deniers that are going to face the consequences of having this reward withheld, you can only have this reward granted uh, at, at Jesus' recommendation. And so in order to receive this reward, you have to be standing before the Father and have Jesus uh, confess your name before the Father so that uh, the Father can give you your uh, confession Reward. This is making the good confession in the presence of, in the presence of, all right, sorry about that. The, um, I assume we're still teaching. I check my text messages in case there's a problem and someone's alerting me to the fact that, that, uh, we have a glitch. All right. I assume we have no glitch. I'm going to keep preaching. Um, this, this confession is either receiving a reward from the Father or not receiving a reward from the Father. And whether we get it or not depends on whether Christ confesses us, confesses our name. And uh, for Christ to confess our name, we can't deny his name on the occasions that we have here on earth. And so are we going to confess Christ before man or we're going to deny him? And uh, that's, that's what it comes down to on a pass-fail basis. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my father who is in heaven. And that's the consequence. So it's a dire consequence. And uh, when uh, when faced with the opportunity, we better remember Peter. We better, better remember his denials because uh, they're pretty clear and they're pretty vivid in uh, in Matthew 26. So uh, hopefully we're, uh, we're clear on that, that no one's losing their salvation on this. That when Jesus denies you before the Father, he's not revoking your eternal life and sending you to hell. Now, that would be, that's uh, contrary to, to the purpose of why he saved you in the first place. That everyone that he died for, he raises up on the last day and you are going to be rewarded, just not with this reward. All right. So in order to be denied, for Jesus to say no, how hurtful is that going to be? But nevertheless, you're still standing there before the Father in Christ uh, at the Bema Seat. So that means you're saved and, and you're eternally secure. All right, now in Matthew chapter 26, Peter opens his big fat mouth and says, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. 
And Jesus says, are you kidding me, Peter? Before the sun comes up, you're going to deny me three times. I say to you this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. So this is his over my dead body moment, and he blows it. And uh, all the disciples, not just Peter, all the disciples were saying the same thing, too. So they joined in with him, and they're all a bunch of liars, and uh, they're all going to they're going to flee on this night because scripture has to be fulfilled. And uh, the prophet Zechariah said that uh, that they were going to flee and that he was going to be left alone. And uh, since God's not a liar and Zechariah is not a false prophet, scripture has to be fulfilled. And uh, this is what's going to happen. So God knows it's going to happen, but they still are going to deny him. And Peter very ferociously and famously denies him three times in this uh, in this night. So we read it in verse 33 and verse 35 and what what Jesus prophesies in verse 34. Keep in mind, the short term prophecy guarantees that he is a true prophet. And we better pay attention to the long term prophecies. We can believe everything in the Olivet Discourse uh, as literally and as uh, as perfectly as his uh, rooster crowing uh, denial prophecy here. Okay, and so we get through the Garden of Gethsemane and all the things that happen there. Same chapter. Just scroll down to uh, to verse 69 after his trials. And um, in verse 69, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and the servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. And so there's the denial. And um, this is what happens. And we get tested like this. Are you a Christian? And do you know the Lord? And uh, how easy is it for us in our culture, in our blessed land, where uh, unlike Pakistan, it's not going to get us uh, uh, killed or uh, have food denied or other things like that. Now, maybe there's a a professional setting or a school setting or some kind of a venue. Maybe uh, you're a part of a peer group whereby um, atheism is dominant and Christians are regularly mocked and ridiculed and uh, they tolerate you. Maybe they don't even know that you're a Christian. And then when they find out, seriously, you're a Christian? Okay. And you got that opportunity. Now, Given that I'm a pastor and I've got a website and I've got uh, 5,000 MP3 sitting there, it's uh, it's a little tough for me to deny. And now I've got a YouTube channel with videos. Um, so, yeah, my denial of Christ would be pretty ludicrous. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we get these moments where because of embarrassment or shame or whatever else, um, we either admit that we're Christian, but, you know, we're not. Yeah, you know, I'm Christian, but, you know, I'm not a. I'm not a fanatic about it or anything. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't go overboard with, with stuff. Um, so that's, that's what happens. And uh, Christians will compromise and they will make excuses or they will get shifty in their confession. And with a very lame confession like that, is it really a, is it really a confession or is it a, is it a, uh, is it a denial at that point? And so uh, just imagine all the shifty words that you're using and all the, all the dodgy language and the and the embarrassment. Um, that imagine hearing that played back for you when uh, you stand before the Father for the confession award, and Jesus Christ says, "Well, yeah, you know, 
he was mine, but he wasn't really a fanatic about it or anything. He was just kind of, you know, and, uh, and I suspect we're not going to enjoy hearing those words played back for us in, uh, in that kind of a way. So as we confess him, so too are we confessed before the Father. And, uh, and I want to hear Jesus say, yes, this is my beloved, uh, brother in whom I'm well pleased. And he named my name every chance he had, and he never denied my name. And uh, to receive that father uh, reward that's going to come to those who confess Christ. Anyway, Peter denied it, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. But that can't be the only denial because Jesus prophesied three. And how easy would it be for Peter to say, to remember, Jesus prophesied three. I better stop right now. (laughs) But he doesn't. He doesn't come to his senses until the third time. And so when he'd gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him. So now there's two servant girls. And these girls are oblivious. What do they know? Uh, but led by the Spirit of God, uh, they, uh, they're going to speak here as tools in God's hands. Another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it, and he denied it with an oath or a curse word. He's a fisherman. He probably knew some, some uh, profanities and some vulgarities and some blasphemies. This is actually an oath, very uh, profane in that regard. And so uh, I do not know the man. I do not know the man. And maybe that could serve to wake him up. At what point does the Holy Spirit open your eyes to say, man, I'm three kinds of carnal. Look at this. Well, not through the first time and not through the second time, because Jesus made the prophecy would take three denials before Peter can wake up. So a little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. The Galileans were uh, very uh, uh, rural, very, uh, you know, uh, had a particular dialect, had a particular accent. They weren't refined. They weren't cultured. They weren't uh, educated like the Judeans, certainly not like the, the fancy pants, um, you know, educated Ph.D. types that were in the school of Hillel or the school of Shammai and uh and so forth um very very hick i would imagine uh kentucky comes to mind or or something in the in the deep american south whereby there's a there's a twang of some sort and uh, and and for peter it was a giveaway for all the galileans it was a giveaway even the way you talk gives you away then he began to curse and swear so now it's profanity and vulgarity and blasphemy and everything else I do not know the man. And with the third denial comes the rooster. And that's when the remembrance comes. Peter remembered the word which the Lord had said. And it wasn't the first denial. It wasn't the second denial. You would think, why don't you remember this? It's like when you go carnal and you're committing a sin and you think, why don't I remember what the Bible says? I know what the Bible says, but I chose not to bring it to the forefront of my memory, to the the, uh, front lobe of my awareness. So Peter remembered the word the Lord had said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me these three times. So he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Now, thankfully, you know, it's kind of the end of this story. But thankfully, um, I think God, I think Jesus is uh, the most gracious human to ever walk this earth. Okay. You think? (laughs) Okay. Jesus is the most gracious human being ever. And in uh, in John 21, he gave Peter the blessing of uh, of saying, I love you three times. And why did he 
make him say it three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I think it's exactly to undo this. <laughs> so, although that made Peter mad too, the third time he had to say, I love you. He just, that, that Peter got mad there too. <laughs> but at the, at the judgment seat of Christ, do I think Jesus is going to deny Peter? Or do I think Jesus is going to confess Peter? You know, does it, if, if you deny the Lord one time ever in the course of your entire life, is he going to deny you for all eternity for the uh, confession award the Father bestows? I don't think so. I think uh, clearly this event is confessed and forgiven and behind him and, and done. And uh, and Peter submitted to crucifixion, as we understand it, the upside down cross and whatever else. And uh, I, I believe the Lord's going to confess the name of Peter before the Father. And he'll be thrilled to confess the name of Peter before the Father. And uh, the Father will be thrilled to give Peter the homologo award for uh, for confessing Christ before men. And that's uh, so, you know, a one one failure, one denial does not uh, does not throw away this reward. But consistent denials will consistent, repeated denials. If that characterizes your life. That's going to that's going to forfeit the reward. All right. So do not throw away your uh, confidence, which has a great reward. So uh, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. They had a great track record for this. And uh, the author expected that they are going to continue. Remember, the body suffers as a body. The body suffers as a body. When one member suffers, they all suffer. And that's not uh, that is vicarious suffering. It is observed, it is felt, it is perceived, it is the effect affects you. And that's uh, that's key that we understand this. The body suffers as a body and uh, as though in prison with them. And so if you identify with the body of Christ, then it's not just a third person experience. Oh, that's what they're suffering with. It's a first person plural experience. This is what we all are experiencing. And so. You know, it's not just those brothers and sisters in Pakistan that are suffering. It's all of us because we're made aware of it and we identify with them and we collectively together uh, are affected by the suffering. It affects us. And uh, some of this centers on the doctrine of passability and what affects God and what affects us. And uh, suffering is vicarious. It's, it's not always, it's not a synonym for substitutionary. We talk about the death of Christ on the cross is the vicarious substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. Those aren't synonyms. Substitutionary is one thing. Vicarious is something else. And our suffering is vicarious. That means we vicariously relate to it and experience the effects of what it is we're suffering with. So 1 Corinthians 12, 26. Repositioning our Bible window here so we can still see the point on the slide. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And that, by the way, includes the head. The head suffers when the members suffer. Christ is head of the church. If one member suffers, all members suffer with it. That's why in filling up what is remaining of Christ's afflictions. We, we st- studied that doctrine in Colossians chapter 1. 
If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And so think about the vicarious nature of this. It is a personal suffering on behalf of the one suffering, suffering with them as though in prison with them, as though tortured with them, as though killed with them, as though suffering loss of property with them. Likewise, that's how we rejoice. We rejoice with them as if we ourselves are experiencing the joy, experiencing the sorrow. The joy and the sorrow are the stimulus, stimu, stimuli, stimuluses, stimuli. The, the joy and the sorrow are the stimuli that we also feel. We also subjectively register. Okay. Try not to keep the touchy feelies, keeping the touchy feelies out of the feeling. It is a spiritual feeling, not an emotional, emotionalism uh, deal. Okay. That the joy and the sorrow are spiritually perceived. We may be absent in body, but we're present in spirit, as we saw last hour. It says 1 Corinthians 12, 26. Verse 27 says, you are Christ's body, individually members of it. Individually members of it. And that's the nature of the body of Christ. Israel wasn't like this. Uh, they were divided into tribes and clans and families. But they were not one body in Israel. They were not one body, a mystical body, where one member suffered and they all suffered. That was not a reality for Israel and their stewardship. But it is the reality for the church and our stewardship. Quite a contrast and quite a difference. Colossians 1.24, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. For the sake of the Colossian believers, believers he never met before, but he was suffering for their sake, vicariously and substitutionary and in these these aspects that we look at in Paul's ministry. In my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. You know, the passion of the Christ that he achieved on Friday, April 3rd, 33 A.D., was unique, never to be repeated, but the afflictions continue presently all day, every day in the body because the suffering continues. The suffering starts at Pentecost and goes to rapture. And the afflictions, the suffering, the Pasco continues from Pentecost to rapture. And so those afflictions continue. And Paul's willing to do his share He's willing to do more than his share. He'll take more than his load. If it'll take the load off somebody else, he'll take it. He will bear that burden. He will share. He will take more than his share to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. If the rapture, if the rapture is just waiting, uh, you know, X number of, of sufferings to go until Christ can return, well, then Paul says, load me up. Let's uh, let's fill what's lacking in Christ's afflictions, because when when X number of Christ's afflictions are done, rapture us out of here. And that's uh, we taught that back in chapter one of our Colossians series, Romans 12, 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who reap. And that's not just in a third person. Uh, hey, I'm happy for you. You know, I can I can understand why you're happy about this. Hooray for you. No, I can understand why you're happy about this. And I also am rejoicing for the same reasons you're rejoicing, because I have the same mind you have. 
in what it is you're rejoicing over. Uh, so the stimulus is not just your stimulus, it's my stimulus, and my spirit is responding with the same joy that your spirit is responding with for the same reason your spirit is responding. Likewise, weeping. The stimulus is my stimulus. I have the same sorrow you have. It's affecting me the way it affects you because we are one body in Christ. Be of the same mind toward one another. Not lifted up, not haughty in mind, but lowly in mind. Associating with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. What a privilege that we have. And it's only with that kind of humility you can have that kind of like-mindedness with uh, with one another. So the body suffers as a body. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are also in the body. Then verse 4. Don't fornicate. All right. And uh, these are all kind of machine gun, firing it out there, uh, not necessarily related, but yes, they are related. Uh, this is a string of exhortations that the author of Hebrews is throwing out there to the readers. So um, let Philadelphia continue. Don't neglect Philizenia. Um, be hospitable. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated. And uh, don't fornicate. Uh, why is why is prison and, and uh, adultery linked like that? Well, it is linked. Verse 3 and verse 4 are linked. And uh, prison can be uh, an adultery venue. Sadly, it's the case. A lot of times, uh, if, a, if a spouse is is in prison, then the unimprisoned spouse uh, gets lonely and gets caught up in things and, and is vulnerable. And there's an awful lot of adultery that happens with uh, spouses in, in prison. So it's not really weird to have verse 3 and verse 4 linked in this way. But uh, nevertheless, this is what the, the Holy Spirit uh, put on the heart of, of Luke or whoever the author of Hebrews is. When he puts these imperatives out there. All right. So, and then this is communion Sunday too, by the way. So I've only got but a shorter time to work with here. I am mindful of that. Um, but marriage and the marriage bed, fornication and adultery. Let's look at the verse and deal with this. It's not hard to preach. It's pretty, pretty basic. Thou shalt not commit adultery has been around a long, long time. <laughs> Going back to the Ten Commandments, and uh, here we have it. Marriage and the marriage bed, and they are linked. Marriage and the marriage bed, fornicators and adulterers. This is the poetry on this. In fact, this could almost be thought of as, as a, a proverb. could almost be thought of as Hebrew poetry written in such a way with uh with the A half and the B half and really with the tandems of uh, marriage and the bed and uh, fornication and adultery. So um, honor marriage, don't defile the bed. It's like uh, the, the, the poetry of, of verse one where um, uh, Philadelphia must abide. Do not neglect Philizenia. Same thing here. Honor marriage, don't defile the uh, the bed 
no bed defilement. And so that's the poetry. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Now, um, understanding this for what it is, this is a blanket statement. This is maybe the clearest of any statement in Old Testament, New Testament, anywhere, for the absolute nature of human sexuality, the absolute nature that uh, that uh, human sexuality is the marriage bed, that marriage is the context, that marriage is the only designed venue for that activity. So this does away with anything that's premarital, which is really non-marital, extramarital, which is really non-marital, um, homosexual. Uh, any other uh, fornicate, any other uh, form of non-marital sex is fornication. And then when you violate marriage vows uh, on the part of one or on the part of both, you know, it could be double adultery if both of the adulterers is married to a different person. It could be single adultery if uh, if a married person is fornicating with a single person then that's only single adultery. It's still adultery. And uh, it's both fornication and adultery, if that makes sense. So uh, in the in the scheme of things, the overall sin is fornication. And then the additional charge of adultery is on top of that, because everything that's non-marital is fornication. And then to violate marriage in the fornication is adultery. And so that's what is spoken of here. And so next week we'll uh, we'll uh, deal with that. It doesn't take long. And then uh, and then we go to the money issues in uh, in uh, verses five and six. And your character must be free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he himself has said, "I will never leave you nor forsake you." And uh, so we'll deal with the money issues in verses five and six. All right. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the privilege we have to serve in the body, to be um, identifying with one another, no matter the circumstances, no matter the difficulties, that uh, even when things get tough, Father, uh, the Christian way of life is not a fair weather friendship. Even when things get tough, we name the name of Christ and we freely accept one another as brothers and sisters. And uh, it's complete confession and no denial that uh, we are who we are by the grace of God. And we thank you for that grace that forgives our sins, that provides our righteousness, your righteousness to our account, that provides eternal life. Father, uh, I thank you that you have life in yourself, gave life to your son and uh, gave him to have life in himself. That life is the light of men. And here we have it, Father, with our Zoe life in Christ. So, Father, we uh, celebrate these things uh, in the teaching, and we celebrate these things in the application. We're delighted now to go to a communion service and to partake together in a proclamation, in a testimony, that we name the name of Christ. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.